This is the fifth in our series of questions that you've asked. Uh, hopefully all the mysteries are fading and <laughs> the light is coming on in your souls. This morning we're going to look at the question, should we always read the Bible literally? And before we do, let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Dear people of God, William Blake once wrote, Both you and I read the Bible day and night, but you see black while I see white. Interpretation of Scripture is sometimes a very difficult matter. We often see different things and we justify a variety of different perspectives based upon the Scriptures. We all know that Christians are often divided about precisely how the Bible ought to be interpreted in the modern world. To illustrate this, uh, ten years ago, to this very month, a young college professor was being charged with heresy. The college president had actually taken him out of class into a large conference room where a group of some 30 pastors awaited. They had interrogated this teacher for over four hours on the question, should we always read the Bible literally? For some reason to this group of pastors, it had become exceedingly important that when the Bible said the, that hell was a lake of fire, that we know just with certainty how hot that fire really is. Or if the Bible says that heaven has pearly gates, that we all must agree that those gates were made by literal giant pearls from literal giant oysters. In the opinion of these pastors, to say anything less or anything different was heresy. At this point, it really didn't matter what the young professor said in his defense, because these pastors had already come convinced that this teacher was the worst sort of God-denying, Bible-hating liberal on the planet. This group of clergy had already come to campus with a signed document stating at least a dozen times that this professor was a heretic, that he was certainly not a Christian, and demanded that he be removed from his post immediately. They'd already been publishing newsletters, passing around letters charging this professor with heresy. They set up, inter set up Internet sites, which exist to this day. They began a letter-writing campaign that flooded the college and seminary with thousands of letters and thousands of phone calls. And eventually these pastors got their wish. Within the year, this professor would be released from his contract, and rumor has it that he has ended up as the pastor of some strange little church <laughs> in the suburbs of Detroit. <laughs> what some people intend for evil, God uses for good. For their part, these pastors were genuinely concerned about whether their children were being led astray, whether they were being taught truth or error, 
And the best way they knew to ask that question was to ask, do you take the Bible literally? Now, to most of our ears, this sounds like a valid question and an important question. Because what we mean by it, I think, is this. Do you take the Bible seriously? Do you see the Bible as truth? Do you believe that this is truly the word of God? Now, if they had asked that young professor any of those questions, I can assure you that his answer would have been absolutely yes, unqualified yes. But the question, do you read the Bible literally, is actually a different question entirely. It's different because it implies something about the very nature of the Bible that historic Christianity has taken to be untrue. It implies that the Bible comes to us in all one voice, that it should be read like a theological encyclopedia dropped out of heaven. What do you believe about prayer? Turn to page 57. What do you think about the Holy Spirit? That's on page 213. But that's not how the Bible comes to us. Instead, the Word of God comes to us as a small library of 66 books written by some 40 different authors. And each one of them comes in different languages, with various writing styles, and even dramatically different literary genres. Some of the Bible comes to us in the form of historical narrative, and that intends to be taken pretty straightforwardly. But then there are the large parts of the Bible that come to us in the form of parable, poetry, proverb, and myth. Now please understand that when I use a word myth or poetry to describe a part of the Bible, I do not mean by that to suggest that it's untrue. That's simply the way modern people understand myth and poetry. I'm suggesting to you in this case that truth comes to us, profound divine truth comes to us sometimes in colorful language and in deeply nuanced forms. And in some cases, poetic language is the best language to describe the God who is beyond our imaginings. For example, when the book of Revelation says, that the Lamb of God has seven horns and seven eyes. I don't know anyone who expects that when they meet Jesus, that he's going to look like that. It's a metaphor implying something else entirely. Or when the Psalms describe God as a rock, none of us have a discussion as to whether God is metamorphic or sedimentary. Even though the word of God is described as a light to our path and a lamp for our feet, nobody that I know reaches for their Bible when the power goes out in their house. These are images of deeper symbolic truth. When we ask the question, should we always read the Bible literally, some people assume that that means that the Bible was always meant to be taken literally. That is, we, we assume that everything the Bible says should be read as straightforwardly as an article from the Wall Street Journal. Let me try to illustrate. Suppose we were to able to gather together here everything you've ever written over your entire life. Would that be interesting or what? 
Imagine that I was going to start reading everything that you've ever written, studying your writings as a way of getting to know you. And suppose I began by asking you the question, can I take everything that you've written literally? Well, your first answer to the question might be, yes, of course. This is truly me. So I push further. I see here that you've written a handful of love poems to your sweetheart in college. Can I read those literally? Your eyes are pools of crystal clear water. Your hair is golden wheat blowing in the wind. Should I take that to mean that you dated someone who had fish in her eyes? <laughs> or whose hair you could bake into a loaf of bread? <laughs> of course not, you insist. Those are love poems. But my other writings, you can take those seriously. You can take those literally. So I pick up your personal journal. On November 12, 1996, you describe a time that you were late for work and a police officer pulled you over for having a taillight out. You write in your journal, I was so angry, my head exploded. <laughs> Should I now assume that you've had serious reconstructive surgery? <laughs> or what about what you consider to be your serious writing? When I read a description of your business finances, and you say in 2001, it was a, the, the year was in the black. 2002, the year was in the red. Should I be confused by the fact that it's all written in blue ink? You see how language works. When you ask me to read everything you write literally, I think what you mean to say is that I should take it seriously, that I should take it as true. But you also mean that I should read it responsibly and recognize what kind of writing I'm dealing with. You don't want me to read your poetry in the same way I read the short story that you never finished. You don't expect that I read your personal letters in the same way as I read your business correspondence. In short, you want me to pay attention to what I'm reading. You want me to see the nuances in language and imagery, the metaphor, the color in what you write. And you want me to recognize what context and culture you're writing in. What I want to suggest to you today is this. We need to approach the Bible with the same courtesy. That's what it means to seriously and responsibly read the Bible as truth. When we ask the question, should we take the Bible literally? I think we're really asking the wrong question, or at least we're using the wrong words to ask the right question. And I think one of the reasons we ask this question is that we're, we often assume that reading the Bible should be a matter of common sense. That is, without any hard work at all, with just a superficial read of the words on the page, that any one of us should be able to interpret what the Bible says. Well, let me give you an example. When the author of the Song of Songs says to his beloved, your hair is like a flock of goats, your teeth are like sheep, your neck is like a tower, your breasts are like fawns browsing among the lilies. Do we assume that we should read this literally? Well, certainly not. None of us read that kind of poetry literally. In fact, we, we all know that we have to read it not literally, but literarily. That is, we have to read it for the kind of literature that it really is. 
And when we read this kind of literature, we actually get a sense, when we read a book like the Song of Songs, that we're living in a different world, that we are cultures apart from the writer of that book of poetry. How many of you are going to write on your Valentine's card, Dear, your hair is like goats. Your teeth are like sheep. I doubt your beloved will appreciate it when you tell them that they have goat hair and woolly teeth. Some things simply don't translate immediately into the modern mindset. And when we read scripture, we need to be aware of that. When we're reading a book that is two or 3,000 years old, written in a language that is long dead, from a culture that was dramatically different from ours, how can we possibly assume that interpretation of that book should be common sense? Part of this assumption that the Bible ought to be read literally is the false notion that we ought to be able to understand Scripture apart from involvement in any Christian community, that it should simply come to us as individuals, privately. Our modern assumption of individualism is challenged by today's text, for we know, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation. It does not have its origin in some private will, but people spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Since God has always used human beings to, to reveal himself, we believers continue to be dependent upon human beings, upon the Christian community, as we study the word of God and as we learn to hear the voice of God in scripture. Think about this. Before the invention of the printing press, all copies of scripture were handwritten, hand-copied. And therefore, they were very rare and very expensive. <laughs> These Bibles had to be chained to pulpits and cloistered away in monastic libraries, not because the church was trying to hide them from us, but because they were so hard to replace. They were so expensive. We Protestants often assume that private reading of the Bible is the norm of the Christian life. And that, I would say that it is a privilege, but it is certainly not the norm of Christian history. Because from the first century right up to the 16th century, most believers would never have owned a private Bible. And many of them were illiterate. If the average Christian was going to hear the word of God then, it would be necessary there for them to do what? To gather together with all the believers. To be accountable to the whole church for what they heard, what was declared from the word of God. Most of us can live with this illusion of private interpretation because we can now go off into the woods with our spirit-filled Baptist woman's study Bible <laughs> and have our private devotions. But when we do, we can, and when we do, we can assume that interpretation of the Bible is a private matter. It's just me and Jesus out in the woods. But think about this. The Bible that you take with you into the woods was copied and translated over centuries by hundreds of biblical scholars before it even came into your hands. The study notes and maps and references at the back of your Bible were written by theologians who were the students of theologians. 
If you've ever been to Sunday school or church, your interpretation of what you read is already being shaped by somebody else. If you listen to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, the way you read the Bible is shaped by that experience. And those somebody else's are students of several other somebody else's, several other biblical scholars, people who are readers of Wesley and Augustine and Luther. So that even when you think you're reading the Bible alone, it's never a matter of private interpretation. You read and hear the word of God along with a great cloud of witnesses. You stand on the shoulders of hundreds, if not thousands, of believers as you read the scriptures. And understanding the meaning of scripture not only involves community and accountability, it involves hard work. And it's something, therefore, that we can never bear alone. One other book written two to 3,000 years ago in another language from another culture, would you assume that you could just pick up read and understand without help from anybody. The same is doubly true of the Bible because the Bible is not only a very ancient document written by scores of men, but it is the word of God. And Peter reminds us that the writers of Scripture spoke for God as the Holy Spirit carried them along. Now, it's an interesting phrase because Peter evokes a nautical image that to describe the interplay of God and the prophets as they're writing scripture. And the same phrase is used in the book of Acts to describe a ship that's being carried along by a storm. The direction of the ship is entirely in, in the mind of the winds and the waves. They're at the mercy of the storm. And yet the ship remains a ship. It has all the characteristics of a ship. You'll notice that as you read scripture, the scripture writers retain their personalities. And they all have different personalities, different writing styles. They have different vocabularies and different backgrounds. As you read Hebrew and Greek, you begin to realize that some of the writers have bigger vocabularies than others. And some have better grammar than others. Paul is better educated than Peter. John is more romantic than Mark. God doesn't override their personalities. When we read the Bible, we have to take all this into account. Who are we reading? Where are they writing from? What is the style of writing? And we need to read each book as the writer intended it to be read. And when we read the Bible, we never, we can never forget the humanity of the text. This is a book written by some 40 human beings. But at the same time, Peter wants to remind us that these writings come to us as the word of God. Now for modern people, this might be the more difficult task, to accept the divine origins of scripture. Because when we think about the Bible as truth, we assume that the Bible must therefore conform to our modern standard of truth. I heard someone tell the story of a young boy who came home from Sunday school, was asked by his mother what the lesson was about. The boy said, our teacher told us how Moses 
went behind enemy lines to lead the Israelites out of slavery. When they came to the Red Sea, his engineers built a pontoon bridge so that everyone could cross safely. When the Egyptians tried to chase them, Moses called in an airstrike to blow up the bridge. The mother asked the boy, Is that really what your teacher said? And the boy replied, Well, not exactly, but if I told it the way the teacher told it, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) For modern people, believing what the scriptures say is sometimes a stretch because we bring our own standard of truth to the scriptures. John Shelby Spong, retired Episcopal Bishop of New Jersey, has written several books suggesting to modern people that we need to read the Bible as modern people and that as scientific post-enlightenment people, we must reject such notions, such antiquated notions as the virgin birth, the miracles of Jesus, and the resurrection. Spong echoes theologian Rudolf Bultmann, who said that a people, that a person cannot logically use a telephone and still believe the stories of the Bible. If you're a modern scientific person, you must reject the miraculous. In short, Spong and Boltman are suggesting that we must judge the Bible based upon our modern notions of science. Our modern concept of truth comes to judge the scripture as truth. If we read the pages of this book and it doesn't immediately make sense to our modern post-enlightenment mindset, if it doesn't correspond to what we understand to be good science, then we can simply cast it aside as unhelpful and untrue. So when these people ask the question, should we take the Bible literally? They're doing so in the light of Boltman and Spong. And they suggest that that we must reject anything that doesn't fit into our modern preconceptions. So when people ask this question about taking the Bible literally, they're concerned about the direction that Spong and Boltman are taking biblical studies. And they want to know, are you taking the Bible seriously? We can accept the Bible as truth without insisting that it be judged by modern culture's standard of truth. In fact, if the Bible is the word of God rather than be rather than judge it by our standard of truth, it ought to judge it ought to be the judge of our standard of truth. The Bible should stand in judgment upon what we consider to be true rather than vice versa. It's completely arrogant of us to assume that if the Bible is to be taken as true, that it has to pass our modern test about what truth looks like. But I want to suggest to you that it's equally arrogant to use the Bible to circumvent the study of science or the study of history. Some Christians want to read the Bible as if it's a 21st century science book or as if Moses' primary concern in Genesis was to refute Charles Darwin. Some of us talk as if we don't need to listen to the scientists or historians or philosophers, that there's some kind of conspiracy out there. And we think arrogantly that the Bible tells us everything we need. In the process, we force the Bible to do things it was never intended to do, 
We force the Bible to say things that it never intended to say. Listen to the warning of one theologian. Usually even a non-Christian knows something about the universe, about nature and science, based on experience and reason. Now it's a disgraceful and a dangerous thing for an unbeliever to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture while talking nonsense on these topics. And we should do everything to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people show up vast ignorance in a Christian and laugh at to scorn. The shame is not so much that an ignorant Christian is ridiculed, but that people outside the household of faith think that the scriptural writers held these opinions. And to the great loss of those for whose salvation we toil, the writers of our scripture are criticized and rejected as ignorant. It might come as a surprise to you that these words were written 1,600 years ago by St. Augustine in his commentary on the book of Genesis. Because the Bible is the word of God, because it is the word of God, we must not force our own agenda down on it, or we run the risk of making the Bible look silly. To insist that the Bible be read literally or commonsensically implies that scriptures ought to conform to modern demands and expectations. Now please understand that there are some passages in scripture which demand that they be read literally, but not all of them. We need to know what kind of literature we're dealing with. And let's be warned that if we force our own agenda on the scriptures, if we judge it by our own standard of truth, the Bible ceases to have divine power in our lives. We need to be reminded the scriptures don't contain what we expect. They contain what we need. The Bible is not here to teach us what any science book or history lesson could teach us. The Bible is here to teach us what only God can teach us. Therefore, we need to treat the Bible responsibly, with faith, and with the humble expectation that we should conform our world to God's word, rather than insisting that God's word conform to our world. That's why it's never simply sufficient to place the Bible in people's hands with the command to read it literally or to read it with their own common sense. Because common sense is not only shaped by the culture around us, it has been seriously affected by the fall. How many people do you know who live commonsensically? And yet we expect that they're going to read the Bible in the same way? The human will is bent against God's will. Why should we expect that it would be a matter of simple common sense for people to interpret the word of God? We need the activity of the spirit in our lives. And we need to realize that sometimes the grace of God, the story of the gospel, defies common sense. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message, a contemporary paraphrase of the Bible, says, the Christian community as a whole has not only been concerned that we read the Bible, but how we read the Bible. 
To slap a Bible into someone's hands and expect that they can immediately master it is foolish, as foolish as handing a set of car keys to an adolescent, giving her a Honda and saying, drive it. The danger is having in our hands a piece of technology, and we often impose our destructive will upon these things. We assume because it's in our hands that we can handle it, that we're in control of it. But there is far more to driving a car than turning a key or stepping on an accelerator. Those who don't know this are soon dead or maimed. Likewise, those who do not know the world or the literature of the Bible are dangerous to themselves and to others. When our children step out into the marketplace, we warn them, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. The market is not what it seems. Be cautious. Be wise. When we hand out Bibles, we should urge people to read them, but we should also warn, caveat lector, let the reader beware. Few things are more important in the Christian community than learning to read the Bible rightly. Because this is the word of God, it carries immediate authority. Read wrongly, it can ignite war, legitimatize abuse, sanction hate, cultivate arrogance. Not only can, but does. If we approach the scriptures in faith and expectation, reading responsibly what God has revealed, we also run the risk of being shaken out of our prejudices and challenged to become new people. For the God who speaks in the Bible is not merely going to meet your standard of truth. He's going to change it. So caveat lector, let the reader beware. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.